Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever. And me, Taylor McGilvery. And myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Countries in the European Union are seeing a steep rise in COVID-19 cases just weeks after lifting pandemic measures. Meanwhile, in most parts of Canada, pandemic restrictions are being eased. So we wanted to ask, with provinces lifting mask mandates, should I still wear a mask? Hi, Jason. Welcome back to The Dose. It's such a pleasure to be with you. For you, uh, mask wearing was a long time coming. Uh, How many years before uh, the pandemic were you wearing masks as required? Well, basically back in the previous pandemic, which uh, many people may not remember, was 2009-2010. That was the H1N1 uh, PDM virus. And back then, when I was doing lots of travel, I found myself surrounded by people who essentially were sniffling and coughing, and I really didn't want to get that virus. So I started putting different types of uh, face protectors on. Uh, Masks were never really good in airports. It always got you strange looks. So I was doing scarves, uh, neck tubes, anything that was essentially giving me barrier protection that was absorbent that could help to reduce my exposure. And honestly, I've been doing that ever since. Never, ever got sick when I've been around other people. So you are not a mask newbie. You're also a germ, a microbiologist germ expert. And, and so you're the guy who's, who's going to tell us how to stay safe in this post-mandate era. So before we begin, can you just give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it. Just ad lib. Yeah, so my name is Jason Tetro. Um, Some people like to call me the germ guy. Uh, Essentially, I have been for the last 30 years involved in figuring out how those invisible microorganisms make us sick and how we can actually prevent that from happening. Okay, before we begin with a more detailed uh, examination of some of the issues that you've already talked about, Mm -hmm. let's cut to the chase. What is your general advice for adults about mask wearing right now? Keep wearing them. Until we are at a stable level of two cases for every 100,000, which essentially would be about, um, you know, 100 cases for every 5 million individuals, which, of course, is sort of what you're looking at with the greater GTA area just for scale. um, You really should be wearing those masks because as soon as it gets above that level, you know that it could possibly turn into an outbreak. You know, briefly, what's the science behind that number? So when you look at how the virus is spreading, what ends up happening is you have various different components. So you have the people who are susceptible, you have the people who are infected, and then, of course, you have the people who are either vaccinated or have recovered. And what you want to do is you want to sort of shift everything towards those people who have recovered or have been vaccinated. But as long as you have lots of susceptible people, you end up in a position where you either have to have a plateau stabilization, where there's a certain number of people getting infected, or you end up with an outbreak status. And that's when all of a sudden it goes over and and you start seeing all sorts of people coming down with the virus. And if it happens to be something that's potentially problematic, like a SARS-CoV-2, then you see a strain on healthcare. And what we've learned is that that two cases per 100,000 does seem to be the stable 
threshold or limit that can tell you that you're in a safe environment or you're in a risky one. So if it's below two, you probably don't need your masks. You probably don't need to really do anything. Just do what you normally do against things like cold and flu. But the minute that it goes over two cases per 100,000, then you've got to start thinking about how you're going to protect yourself because you are going to be at risk and other people who may even have weaker immune systems than you are going to be even more susceptible. And are we actually measuring that? Are we going to be able to have good, robust numbers that tell us whether we're above or below that threshold for wearing masks? No. So what I've been doing is essentially looking at a multiple. So in the initial stages, we found that the number of cases that we were identifying based on testing was about an eight-time multiple less than what we were actually experiencing in the public. Uh, and this was stuff that was done by the British Columbia government and other governments to, to show us that. Now that we've limited the amount of reporting, okay, if we are seeing any reporting, I might have to add that, then we're at least at a 10 times multiple less with the numbers that we're seeing. So let me ask you, is your advice uh, to the general public different uh, for groups that are identified as being more vulnerable to the effects of COVID, like those who are immunocompromised or children mm -hmm. under five who aren't vaccinated? You know what? I believe in equity. And if that's the case, if we have to wear masks because we're in a group of immunocompromised individuals, you really should be wearing a mask if you happen to be around other people as well. This is the thing that we really need to start thinking about is it's time we stop trying to isolate individuals based on their susceptibility and just realize that even if they do have a higher risk, at the end of the day, unless we isolate them onto an island, they're going to be interacting with the rest of us. And I've heard so many people who are immunocompromised essentially saying that they now have to change their living behavior in order to be able to make sure they don't come into contact with someone who has a stronger immune system who may choose not to wear a mask. So I would rather that we don't talk about susceptible versus non-susceptible because we're all together in this and we should really just focus on that as a societal and, and essentially a, a group efficacy as opposed to simply self-efficacy, which is unfortunately where we are today. Jason, I've heard you say that people should wear a mask if COVID-19 could be circulating in their environment. Yep. I want you to be more specific for people. What's your advice, say, when you're indoors in public places like a grocery store or a mall? Yeah, so what you want to do is you want to look at the environment around you. Now, of course, we all hear about this idea of doing a risk assessment. And, you know, I've been an incident commander for hazmat situations. I know how to do a risk assessment and take all the seven steps, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, if you don't want to have to take the training, then it's very simple. If you walk in and you start to see that the ceiling is, say, less than 12 feet and the big area around you is you know, maybe just a little bit of rooms here and there, then you're probably going to be wanting to wear a mask. But if you want an even better idea, then let's look at this whole concept of what is airborne. What is the first thing that you will recognize that is airborne? A smell, an odor, an aroma. If you can smell an aroma that isn't actually directly in front of you, then you know that there is not a heck of a lot of ventilation going on. And therefore, if there are individuals who are infected in there, there's a good likelihood there's also virus circulating in that air. And that's why you want to be wearing a mask, because the barrier protection is going to protect you from those viruses that are circulating. And any smell. So that can be like a, a musty smell. Or what are the typical kinds of smells that, that we, might, we might smell indoors? 
So the musty smell is definitely something that you're going to want to notice because obviously um, that means that there's not much ventilation. Um, if you happen to be in an environment where there's a high turnover of traffic, we as humans, well, I don't want to say body odor. It's more like bacteria odor, but that's another conversation for another time. And so if you're smelling that, then you know that the ventilation is low. And of course, there are other types of smells depending on the environment you're in. So if you happen to be sort of in a restaurant or a grocery store, you're obviously going to have smells. One of the reasons why you want to be wearing those masks. If you happen to be going into, you know, an educational facility, you might be smelling that chalk in the air. And if that's the case, then you know that there's not a lot of ventilation. So that for me is the better risk assessment that you should be taking as opposed to just sort of trying to go through all the different steps. So that's really interesting because I said grocery store and mall as if they're the same thing. A mall can be cavernous. Exactly. What, but, but that means if you don't smell something, does that mean it's safe? Yeah. And if you actually go into a mall, I mean, they're pump, probably pumping some kind of fragrance or oxygen or something like that into you. Same thing with casinos, same thing with sports stadiums, that type of thing. But honestly, unless you can actually hone in on a particular smell that obviously is not directly in front of you, then there's probably a fairly good ventilation in there. And of course, you know, the, the other option is just basically to feel it on your face, but that's really going to be rare unless you happen to be in an environment where the ventilation rate is incredibly high. So you mentioned the smell of chalk, and of course, when we think of the smell of chalk, we think of schools, and mask mandates are going to be dropping in schools as well. So what does the research show about masks and kids in school? Okay, so there was a really great study that was done out of Germany that actually showed that if you have levels that are about two cases per 100,000, if it's lower than that, then schools are not a problem. And you're not going to see any kind of um, maximization or anything like that. So that rule that I was talking about still stays. Now, if you happen to be going over two cases per 100,000 in the community, then what ends up happening is that you start to create pockets of individual infection within the schools. Now, we already have a cohort system that we've attempted, and that seemed to have worked, right? But now that we are sort of releasing mandates and we're not necessarily going to follow with the cohort system, what's going to happen is you're going to have mixing of greater susceptibles. And the most important thing to realize is that when you're talking about kids, you can't simply say that they have been triple vaccinated because the majority of our children have not even had two doses. So in that light, we have to start thinking of our schools as being the most susceptible environment as opposed to maybe some other places that you keep hearing about in the news. And when that comes to light, you have to realize that we should be protecting them as much as we possibly can. So again, until we see that two cases per 100,000 in the community, those kids should be wearing masks. So we've been talking about the need for masks and, and people should still be wearing masks unless the case count is is below that threshold of two per 100,000 yeah. in which people are worried. That seems simple enough. What kinds of masks should people be wearing? We are focusing on a good seal around your face above everything else. And that's one of the reasons why cloth masks don't seem to be as popular or as effective and why many of us now are turning to the more medical-grade masks that have at least a 95 rating. So that means you're saying that, that if you're going to wear a mask, you should wear either an N95 or a KN95? If you're going to wear a mask, you want to make sure that you have a proper seal, for one. For two, you want to make sure that you have at least three layers of protection. 
And three, you want to be absolutely sure that it, you know, is comfortable so that you can wear it for a, a longer period of time. One of the big problems that we've seen over the last two years is that people would put a mask on, but if it wasn't comfortable, they were just pulling it down to scratch their nose or to take a breath and stuff. And unfortunately, that, that's really not helping. Um, so we know based on the original SARS that you've got to make sure that comfort is a factor. So if you want to have something that is comfortable, like a cloth mask, then try and make sure that you can at least get one that has a really good seal around. And again, those three layers. Between today's wellness fads and news about tomorrow's medical breakthroughs, it's hard to know what health information actually applies to you. Luckily, there's a podcast that breaks through the noise, TED Health from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts that break down the questions you didn't know you had. Will eating a plant-based diet make you healthier? How does your neighborhood impact your health? How will medical treatments change in the future? Learn all this and more on TED Health. Find TED Health wherever you get your your podcasts. So you've mentioned several times that it's important to make sure you have that that perfect seal. Of course, as a healthcare professional, I, I have fit testing. Uh, in yeah. fact, I completed fit testing about a month ago for uh, so I'm good for another couple of years. But how, how like what's your advice to people who are listening to us right now on how to make sure they have a proper seal? Okay, so first things first. When you look at a mask, you've got essentially two components that are going to be important. The first is the seal around your face. Um, don't, don't have a beard. <laughs> I hate to say that, but it's true. Playoff beard, not good with masks. Um, so you want to make sure that you've got a proper seal on there. And the easiest way to figure that out is just to put your finger underneath, let it go, and it will essentially hit your skin, stay there. That's great. So that's fairly easy. Now, the upper part is where there's a problem. And even when I get fit tested, I have a wide bridge. And so it's almost impossible for me to get a proper fit when I'm doing an N95, but it is possible. And so you want to make sure that you've got enough of a fit that when you breathe out, you don't feel air on your eyeball. Um, and, and another really good way is just put on a pair of glasses. And if that fogs up, then you still don't have a good seal. When you can actually get to a point where you're not fogging up your glasses because it's down and it's proper, then you know that you've got that good seal and you're good to go. Well, everything you're saying reminds me that if you're walking into an enclosed space without a mask and you smell something, it's already too late. You know, if there's already COVID in that room, it may already be too late to put on a mask. So I guess you should be putting on a mask before you walk in. Absolutely. And that's one of the big issues that we're facing is that... If you are walking into a room and all of a sudden you're, you essentially are, are faced with this flood of aroma, it's too late. You've been exposed. If you happen to be going into a place and it's, there's a lot of people around, then you may have ex actually gotten yourself exposed. And depending on how long they've been there, there may have been enough virus in the air to be able to meet that minimal infective dose, especially for something like Omicron, which is why if you're going to be masked, mask before you go in. Jason, what are the benefits of continuing to mask when it comes to other viruses? Well, uh, like I said, I've been doing this for 10 years, never gotten an infection from a respiratory virus. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter what virus we're talking about. If there's a portal of entry and you use a barrier protection to prevent that virus from getting into that portal of entry, then you're not going to get infected. From what you've said, you were wearing masks before the pandemic. I, I, I suspect you're going to continue to wear them when the pandemic is officially ended. But what are some of the signals and indicators that tell you that it might be safe not to mask up in an indoor public place? 
Yeah, absolutely. So when I am looking at the respiratory virus uh, detections, um, again, at the Health Canada website, I get a feel for what's out there. And I can do this pretty much all over the world, wherever I'm going. So I get a feel for what the caseload looks like in terms of, you know, what is there. And again, you have to use that multiple because not everybody's getting tested. And that's how I essentially look at that. So um, if I sort of say, well, it's this particular time of year, I'm going to go to this particular country or this particular city in Canada. I'm going to look, I'm going to get a feel for it. And if the numbers do look to me like they are over that two cases per 100,000 at a sustained level, then yeah, I'm probably going to be wearing that respiratory protection. So your first indication that uh, getting rid of mask mandates was a bad idea will be what? Uh, Social media. You know, it's really funny. Um, you can actually do a, a sort of quasi-epidemiological study by simply following uh, the, the tweets on, um, uh, on COVID and who's getting infected. And, you know, over the last little while that I've been looking at them, you know, we saw the mandates being lifted. And sure enough, within seven days, my timeline was getting filled with people saying, oh, my goodness, I'm COVID positive, or oh, my goodness, I've got COVID, or I'm feeling horrible, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, at the end of the day, that's just how viruses work. You don't have to be a microbiologist to know that. We've done this now for the sixth time. I think it should be something we should all appreciate. So for, if for people who are saying, hallelujah, I can doff my mask because mask mandates have ended, pay attention to social media and other indicators that uh, COVID rates are going up in your community and then maybe have uh, second thoughts and put that mask back on. Exactly. And so what you want to do, as I said before, look for the virus respiratory isolations, not just for SARS-CoV-2, but for all the others. Um, you know, check on your social media, do your, do your, you know, armchair epidemiology if you want to. Uh, just don't give advice, please. Um, and then finally, um, just, you know, take a look for yourself whenever you happen to be going out. And this is the one thing that I think is really important for your own self-interest. Look around you. <laughs> if you happen to be in a mall or, or a shopping center or a grocery store um, or a school or work or church, look at how many people happen to be sick. And so if you start to see lots of sick people around you, eh, it might be really good for you to protect yourself. Last question I want to ask you, maybe on a more optimistic note, uh, how likely is it that great number of people who've been wearing masks for the last two years will continue to wear masks uh, into the future? I think really we've reached that point of self-efficacy, which is sort of the psychological term that we use to say, I know how to protect myself. Um, has reached a point where the majority of people are essentially going to follow and protect themselves uh, for at least the next couple of years. Um, is this going to last? I don't know. It's hard to tell. But I do hope that people realize that this two-year experience that we've gone through has helped us to appreciate the value of barrier protection and that they continue to use that moving forward. Jason Tetro, germ guy, thanks once again for uh, speaking with me on The Dose. It was such a pleasure. Jason Tetro is a microbiologist in Edmonton and author of The Germ Files. Here's your dose of smart advice. COVID may be on the decline and the provinces are lifting mask mandates, but wearing a mask may still be the safe thing to do. Ideally, you want to keep wearing masks until COVID case counts are less than 2 per 100,000. 
Since many jurisdictions aren't tracking the population that closely, it's safest to assume that there are more cases of COVID than are being tracked. In other words, err on the side of caution. That means wearing a mask indoors, especially in smaller and closed public places like grocery stores, where the ceilings are low and ventilation might be inadequate. Your nose is a good indicator. If you smell things like mustiness and body odor, from others, of course, it's likely the ventilation is poor and you should wear a mask. Kids in school should probably continue to wear masks for some time to come. That's especially true for kids who have not had three doses of vaccine and even more so if their school is poorly ventilated. These days, masks are plentiful. The best ones to use are N95 and KN95 masks. Surgical or procedure masks are the next best option, though they are not as good as respirators for filtering out airborne particles. Whatever the mask, you want a tight seal over your mouth and nose. We may be at the point at which many people will continue to wear masks long after mandates and even after the pandemic is behind us. That's because masks not only protect us from COVID, but from a whole host of other nasty germs. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, tweet me at NightShiftMD, at CBC Podcasts, or at CBC Whitecoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. Our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please rate us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Stephanie Dubois. Technical support was by Laura Antonelli. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.